0: You've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton.
1: All right, greetings, people. This is uh another episode of the Paranoia Podcast. Ron, this is our third one in a row.
2: I know. Miracles never cease, bro.
1: It's shocking. <laughs> we've actually done three in a row. Oh my god.
2: I know. We gotta keep it going. But you know, like oh, we've been trying. telling people it's been tough. You know, it's been a tough year for all of us, and but uh oh, the
1: helicopters flying over the house. That's
2: good. That's a all good right, sign. Ron. <laughs> it
1: is. Okay, peeps, so this is the Paranoia Podcast, radio, whatever. Uh, I'm Olaf Phillips. I'm the uh, publisher and occasional writer of, in Paranoia Magazine, in the Paranoia Empire.
2: I also have a lodge called the uh, Celestial Lodges series. Ron? Hey, and I'm Ron Patton. I'm uh, editor-in-chief of Paranoia, former publisher of Paranoia Magazine, and uh, occasional writer.
1: Okay, Ron, so uh, what's different about
2: tonight? What's different? Yeah. Uh, we have a great guest for a change. No.
1: This, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Adam Go Rightly would appreciate that. I'm number.
2: joking. No. I'm joking. No, no we, we, we can take phone calls. Oh, today. that's and, right. Right. Yeah, now, no, why do you not, have not two yet. numbers? that, that kinda of, that's somewhat confusing, you got two numbers, one that's east west of the, of the Rockies, Rockies and one that's east oh. of the Rockies. what's the that's deal with right. it
1: and I'm gonna well it's it's a tribute to Art Bell,
2: oh okay, got it,
1: yeah, now we're okay. not ready for phone calls yet,
2: oh okay, uh, but we can we give it out conference. anyway, just for shits and giggles Or what
1: shits and giggles go ahead,
2: Ron. <laughs> Yeah, you, well, you you can give that part out But, uh, yeah, well, I I'm look forward to that So, But next for week, it. for sure, it's going to work, right?
1: Oh, no, it's working now You can call in I'm just not going to answer it Because we have to talk to the guest first Oh, gotcha, okay <laughs> <That makes laughs> Like sense. a real radio show, you know <laughs> <laughs> All right, why don't you introduce the guest And then we'll get to the phone numbers later
2: Alrighty, tonight we have Steve Stockton. He's a veteran outdoorsman author and has been investigating The Unexplained for over 35 years. Originally from the mountains of East Tennessee, Steve has traveled all over the country and many parts of the world now makes his home in Portland, Oregon, near the wilds Yay. and Bigfoot country of the Pacific Northwest. Steve cites... As uh, influences his gypsy witch grandmother who told him multitudes of legends and stories as a small child, as well as authors such as Frank Edwards, John Keel, Charles Fort, Lauren Coleman, Ivan Sanderson, and Colin Wilson. His published books include bestsellers Strange Things in the Woods, the autographical My Strange World, And more recently, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, Volume One, The Great Smoky Mountains. Steve is currently at work on Volume Two of the National Park Mystery Series, and it's due to hit shelves in August. Steve, welcome to the illustrious Paranoia Podcast.
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Been a longtime fan of the magazine. This is a dream come true.
2: yeah, oh, when, well, when did you, you first coming, uh, start getting Paranoia magazine? Do you remember? Uh,
3: I, it was probably when I lived in... I know I got it when I lived in Las Vegas, and that's been probably eight years ago. But I think I might have actually bought copies of it when I was still in Florida, which would have been like, I'll say like 2004, 2005, somewhere right. around in there. It's been a
2: while. Yeah. So Well, you know, so we well, were always big fans.
1: So what, what got you interested in the
3: disappearances? Uh, just the, the fact that I, one thing, I grew up near the Great Smoky Mountains, and there's some very unexplained disappearances there, uh, most notably the Dennis Martin case. Uh, when that happened in 1969, I was about the same age as Dennis Martin. I think I was a few months younger. I was just about to turn six, and I think he was six going on seven. And that was the first time that I was able to get my head around, you know, as a child that... Sometimes kids can go missing, and they're never found. So I watched the news for days, got the newspaper somewhere. I have still got a couple of scrapbooks where I followed that case. And in my childlike mind, you know, we're only an hour from the Smokies. Maybe he wandered down this far. And I actually got out in the country there where we lived and rode my Schwinn Stingray up and down the road uh, looking for him in the bushes. So just one of those things. And then... I've had some sort of connection with just about all the other disappearances there so just oh, wow. something I got into and kind of
1: followed so what what is, have you noticed any common themes in the disappearances or you know, uh, are they well, kind there, of quasi random
3: well there are some synchronicities in some of those just not really as 40 as in all the national disappearances together but to like uh Trini Gibson, the next girl that went missing from the Smokies, she went missing in 1976. She lived in the same neighborhood as Dennis Martin, although they were several years apart. And and that was another one that I followed. Um, We went to uh, rival high schools, Crosstown Rivals, and my niece was best friends with uh, Trini's sister, Tina. So, got a lot of inside information on that one. And then in 1981, when uh, Thelma, Pauline, Polly, Melton disappeared, my hiking and skiing club from high school helped out with uh, the search and rescue portion of that. So there's been you know, some personal connection, especially to those Smokies cases, and then carried that over and looking into all the ones that are going on now that have gone on, and even historical cases. There's a lot of things that do crop up, uh, boulder fields, berry patches, People wearing red, oh. people that were either the first in line or the last in line for the group, and then got separated for one reason or another, lagged behind or went ahead. Uh, oh. Also, people that tend to go missing uh, tend to be either um, on the autism spectrum or very, very well educated, like PhD level. A lot of them are of Germanic descent, and there's just some, some things like that. That now that's not every case, but there's right, but that that's crops up over where, and
1: over. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Do you have a theory on what's going on?
3: Uh, I don't really. I mean, there's there's so many different theories, and they all kind of fit. There's some people claim yeah. alien abduction. Some people claim a Bigfoot-type creature. Uh, still yet, there's uh, uh, the, uh, like a translucent humanoid being that's been spotted sometimes like the predator creature Some people oh, yes. think that's yeah that's what it is
0: right. Um, right the
3: Native American legends First Nations people they talk about uh, different things in the woods that would take people and then you've got over into the the UK and Britain the the fairy lore especially from Celtic times uh, that was where it was almost a religion. Uh, they have a lot of stories about things in the woods that take people. And it's some of the same things that kind of play out thing, same things that we see now. And then there's yet the, uh-huh. uh, the human predator theory that there's a, uh, group of or singular serial killers that operate within the national parks because, you know, it's a big place, uh, great smoky mountains, for example, is over 555,000 acres. So there's a lot uh-huh. of places in there. You could hide, um, Eric Rudolph, the Olympic bomber, you know, he was actually in Nantahala Hale National Forest, which is just south of the Smokies, but also along the Appalachian Trail. Uh, when he was on the run from the FBI, he managed to stay in the woods for five years. So oh,
1: wow. it,
3: it can be done. There, there are places out there you can disappear to if you were up to something nefarious.
1: So do when these people disappear, because I know I've heard other stories, there's actually a, a place not... It's a couple hours from my house, but it's, it's like a rest stop. And I think three people disappeared from there and they found their bodies later in very mysterious circumstances. Do they ever find any bodies or, or with the Smokies? Is it generally, they just vanish?
3: Uh, most of the ones in the Smokies, they just vanish. Um, with absolutely no trace. I mean, talking like the the scent dogs lay down and quit and things like that. But in wow. some of the other national parks and places, they do find the bodies. And it's usually, like you said, under mysterious circumstances, it'll be right. in an area that's already been searched sometimes more than once, almost like the body was placed there. I mean, we're talking like just on the edge of the trail in a wide open area where people like, mm-hmm. I know there was no body there when we went by, you know, the other two times we searched that area. Um, again uh, mentioned boulder fields a lot of people are found deceased in a boulder field and uh, the I think it's the Algonquin uh, First Nations people in uh, New England they have a legend uh, about rocks that can open up and swallow people Mm -hmm. and then crush them and then spit them back out well a lot of these people that they find in a boulder field they look like they've been dropped from a distance and from a height and i thought about that if a rocket swallowed you up and then spit you back out you might be all mangled up like you had fallen yeah. from a great height that's so true. what's that all about you know there's just so many strange things and of course there's animal predation too and that's what people always point to uh, it was a mountain lion it was a bear and but doing research uh, for this latest book i found out like in the smoky mountains since the park was created in 1934 mm-hmm. There have been exactly five bear attacks, and only one of them fatal. But in that same period of time, there's been over 50 plane crashes. So oh. the, the most dangerous thing you can do in the Smokies is fly over to a small plane, apparently. So how many, how many disappearances
1: have there been in the Smoky Mountains, roughly? Uh,
3: there are five major ones, the, the ones I talked about there. And then there was one more recent one, and I can't remember the gentleman's name right off the top of my head. Though. Another one more recent times was Derek Loking, who was uh, from, um, I think he's from Blount County, Tennessee. And they thought that might be an on-purpose disappearance, because there are people that, that go into the woods to that plan on never coming back, that go there to end it all. But even with that, the thing that puzzles me is if you were going in there, like you know, the suicide forest in Japan, for example... Right. They they find those people. They find at least their bones, their clothing, the things that they've had there. A lot of these people in the Smokies, they don't find anything. And I don't know how you could pick a spot and get to it that's so remote that nobody's ever going to find your body. Or even if animals did consume you, they won't eat your boots, they won't eat your clothing. If it was an animal attack, there would be you know some form uh, sign of a struggle or blood or something like that. But a lot of times, the dogs. Go ahead.
1: The, the scent dog's losing the scent. That, yeah, that's, that's very
3: just, interesting. Makes no sense. They'll just lay down and refuse to go any farther, and and I've heard people say that uh, some of the search and rescue people that he's not on the mountain. He either went in the mountain or he went up. Mm-hmm. And he's not on the mountain. And it's it's bizarre. And the more you delve into it, the stranger it gets. I
1: think. And wow. and I was intrigued. I was interested because you you said there were how many fifty plane crashes?
3: Yeah, and that's that and seems mostly, to be a
1: very high number.
3: It it does seem inordinately high for that small of an area. Like I said, it's
1: yeah
3: uh, sits on the border of uh, East Tennessee and Western North Carolina, almost perfectly right. halved between those states. Yeah, done Five hundred and <laughs> fifty thousand acres. I mean, that's a lot of wilderness, but that's still a small area for that many planes and people say, well, it's the, the mist that rise up off the mountain where they get their name from. But I, I don't know that it goes up that high. I've seen it. I was up on Klingman's dome once, which is the highest point in the Smokies and I was mm-hmm. at the observation tower and this is in broad daylight. And sure enough, the mist comes kind of like creeping up the hill and didn't seem to wow. be really even affected by the wind or anything. And within yeah. just a few minutes, uh, you couldn't see anything. It was like being in the clouds. So it can happen quick. Uh, weather conditions can change there really, really fast. Uh, and the National Park issues some fairly cryptic warnings to uh, be careful that sometimes your electronic devices, uh, such as a GPS or phone, right. or even a standard compass, may not perform correctly. So it makes me think there's some kind of maybe a, a magnetic anomaly or there or something. Right, that's what I was magnet. Just thinking.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, I was doing research on the Hellier, the Hellier thing. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen Hellier. Yeah. But right. around Hellier, around Hellier, it's between Hellier and Point Pleasant. I mean, they're they're just massive magnetic anomalies in that whole area. Yeah, there's the you biggest know,
3: one in the country. I think is right in that area it's right. called the
1: Kentucky anomaly. That can, can right. screw with
3: all kinds of instrumentation.
1: And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, radioactive elements that are found in the ground there too. Mm-hmm. so it's it seems like that area in general is is very magnetically active. I wonder yeah, if that plays a part in it.
3: I, I think it does to a degree, and then um, if you notice a lot of the places that have uh, what some people call the clusters of missing people, also, have right. the concentration of underground uh, caves and caverns. If yep. you, you overlay those maps, they, they almost match up.
1: Yeah, the one other, the, the other there's another researcher that, that does uh, research into national parks. And one time I took one of his maps, I, I put it in my book, I took one of his maps and overlaid it onto a map from the sky named Tall It was published in the 1990s and the disappearance clusters actually match to where this guy said there were like underground tunnels and secret bases and stuff so yeah. it is a very interesting you know thing to look at
3: and it's intriguing because they do have you know there there are underground bases that they'll admit to and that are known right. and it makes you wonder what's out there that we're not aware of or not privy to that information at our pay level
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah it's above our pay grade yeah <laughs> but no it's the the disappearances that fascinated me because when especially the ones where they find the bodies that the the disip, the like the people the, the like the conditions are so strange. And I remember mm-hmm. one guy he was hunting and he I guess he had dumped his gear and he was going to get it from a cache and he he had a GPS like transponder and he they lost them and like they found a bunch of his stuff and his shoes like yeah. a mile away or something, and mm-hmm. then they then like four four or five miles away is where they found him, and he would have had to hike through this like gorge like barefoot in snow, yeah,
3: and, and he, several yeah. feet of snow. I'm familiar with that
1: case, uh, right? And yeah. he
3: was within sight of like a, a lodge, another hunting lodge or something, in the, the area of yeah. the woods there where they found
1: the body. And he had he had his uh, he had his um, handgun as well as his uh, his bow.
3: And uh, a lot of times, though, they will find the stuff, but certain things are missing like that. Uh, Maybe they'll find the backpack, but things they know the person had aren't with the body or in the backpack. That includes weapons and things like that. And then sometimes they don't find anything or they'll find part of the clothing. Um, There was another gentleman that was found. uh, They found his shoes in one location, found him in another or his clothing, the only thing that was left to him was his shin bones, which were still in his jeans, and they said it looked like he had just almost melted away. Now, of course, you know, wow. bones and things like that, that can be animal predation, especially small creatures of the forest will have a ball with stuff like that, but I don't know, some of it just doesn't make a lot of sense, and then some of the other, uh, like the, the death of Todd Seas, he was the one who had gone out on his four-wheeler they found his body in a tree and it was almost torn apart. And um, I think they eventually decided the official cause of death was a cocaine overdose, but that still doesn't explain how he got up in a tree and and basically ripped in half after they found his clothing folded neatly on the ground. Mm -hmm. Now people talk about that. There's a thing called paradoxical undressing where if you're suffering from hypothermia, you feel hot when you're actually mm-hmm. freezing to death and people, some people will strip off during that. But I don't know if you, if you have the, the foresight to take your clothes off and fold them up or put them up in a tree or hang them you on know, something. It's
2: just so bizarre. Yeah. There's and, just uh, so many of those cases. And uh, you know, the other thing um, I wanted to bring up, you know, earlier you were talking about magnetic anomalies Mm-hmm. Uh, would that have uh, something to do with, like, vortexes or ley lines, perhaps?
3: Uh, it could. I know, in particularly in the British Isles, they're they're big on the ley lines there. Now, I've heard people debunk that, say that you could take any two sites and, and draw a line, you know, and eventually mm-hmm. line several things up. But uh, I think we have a version of that here, like, particularly uh, out here on the West Coast. If you look at the strange things here, like, if you go from, say, Sedona, Arizona, up through uh, Joshua Tree, California, and then continue on up. Uh, There's a vortex there uh, just across uh, from Northern California in Oregon. Uh There's an Oregon vortex, and then some of the ancient weird sites on up into Washington. And of course, went right by Mount Shasta there when we were in Northern California going to Oregon. Uh, that's right. a strange, strange place. That's that's going to be in the next book. And Shasta, although technically it's not in a national park, it is a national wilderness area, but so many strange things there. Missing people, uh, yes. Bigfoot, UFOs, Ascended Masters, uh, St. Mm-hmm. Germain, the
2: Lemurians. Oh, yeah. Uh, caves you, ha- you have so gold. many different uh, <laughs> occult groups up there, and uh, yeah. it's it's almost like um, Mount Adams as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We used to go to SETI Ranch once a year, you know, on an annual, our annual excursion. And uh, that place was very, very peculiar because there are obviously many sightings of UFOs and also of Bigfoot. Yeah. And I know that there are a lot of people that don't want to, you know, bring those two things together, those two paranormal type of activities together, but it does seem like there is some sort of correlation with uh, uh, those type of sightings. Wouldn't you agree?
3: Oh, absolutely. In a lot of cases where there's UFO activity, either prior to or after, there'll be Bigfoot sightings in the same area. And uh, talking about Mount Shasta, that's home of one of the most unusual Bigfoot uh, sightings I've ever heard of. A woman claimed that um, on a slope, there on Shasta, she observed a female Bigfoot nursing a baby Bigfoot under a tree. Uh-huh. I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, there may be other reports like that out there and I just haven't heard of them, but that's that's pretty unusual. But I, I think there is some sort of commonality there. I don't know if, you know, the uh, portal opens and whatever can fly through or walk through or um, hear the same thing out in uh, the southwest, particularly the Four Corners area out there with uh, the Dogman and the Skinwalker stories
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: and uh, people have even observed those uh, portals the the couple that did live at Skinwalker Ranch she talked about looking out the kitchen window once saw what looked like a portal open out in the field and there was a man sitting at a desk writing inside this portal and when mm-hmm. he glanced up and looked at her she said then the portal just closed and he was gone so you know right. hold on earth that sounds like some sort of uh, Government things, you know black helicopters and men in black and mm-hmm. something like that, some sort of technology that uh, we're not aware of that can cause some kind of rift in time and space there and allow people to pass through or things to pass through.
2: Right. like there's uh, uh, places out in the Mojave desert, for instance, where there's a lot of uh, really strange anomalous activity. And uh, happens to be quite a few uh, military bases that have top secret installations, like one is uh, China Lake Naval Weapons Center. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of UFO sightings and just, you know, all kinds of different things going on there. Have you heard of anything uh, in that particular area going on? Not
3: that specific area. I mean, basically anywhere that there's a, a test site or anything like that, children's yeah. stories, Groom Lake, and uh, when I lived out there in Vegas, you know, Area 51 was close by, and I've been at the airport in the mornings and seen those Janet flights come in with the windows blacked out where they're bringing those workers in mm-hmm. out there, so it, it does exist. Things go on. They will chase you even off of Freedom Ridge now, I think, if you go out by the, the, the mailbox out there on the extraterrestrial mm-hmm. highway. But the the strangest and most visible, I guess, UFO sighting I ever had was in Las Vegas. It was uh, I was working at um, Treasure Island Casino as the the in-house photography lab manager, and I'd taken one of my employees home one night, about two o'clock in the morning, and we were on the south end of the Strip, past um, Mandalay Bay and all that, headed toward Prim if you stayed on that road, and we saw something that it looked like a, it was a triangular shaped craft it was black mm-hmm. no lights on it but it blotted out the sky that's how black it was and it was i'd say easily the length of a football field and it was hovering over a power station
2: mm-hmm.
3: and i saw it and pointed it out to the girl that I was giving getting right to we pulled over got out and watched it and i think there were some people on the other side of the highway that were were watching it too And it was just hovering over this power station, didn't make any noise, no lights, Mm -hmm. just a black triangle-shaped thing, and then all of a sudden it just shot straight up. I mean, it didn't fly forward, backward, or anything, it hovered, and then it was just gone. I mean, just went from the size of a football field to a speck so small you couldn't even see it as it went straight up that Mm -hmm. fast. So, again, was that one of ours, one of theirs? You know, it could be anything out there—some sort of technology that we have that we don't talk about. Or... Right,
2: because you have Area Fifty-One out there, and you yeah, know right. other places that uh, not too many people really know about, but they do exist. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I've always been intrigued with underground tunnels and uh, uh, underground bases because uh, when you go back and uh, you know. Listening to some of the uh, indigenous people uh, there's there's certain spots that they've always sort of revered or, or have had ceremonies and rituals and just so happens to be where they have these top secret military installations so yeah it, it makes you wonder said. if if <laughs> the military knew that there were like these uh, some sort of you know powerful elements emanating from the earth and yeah, so they've decided to
3: energy dark or otherwise that they can use for something else i don't know it's interesting but you hear about things like that like uh, for example there's this is way off topic but there's a, a haunted plantation in Sevierville, tennessee that mm-hmm. the site they designed where they decided to build the original plantation house was because of a giant uh, geode that they'd found out in the field it's still there in the basement in the dirt mm-hmm. but And there's been speculation that the the quartz, because this geode is huge, it's a couple feet across, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe more, that there's maybe something in there. Because a lot of those, you break them open, there's quartz crystals in there. Yes. That something in this is what's drawn all that, too. The the area has a bloody history. uh, When they they fought with the the Native Americans in there, they supposedly killed so many of them that they had them stacked up in the the yard like cordwood, is how the Mm -hmm. legend goes. Uh, saw action there during the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. Um, father and son even had a a fight, and the son killed the father inside the house. So there's been all kinds of things there. Did something draw that there? Was it already there? Did uh-huh. this geode still cause stuff to manifest? Because I'm a believer in stone tape theory, particularly the residual hauntings, where it's like the same thing being played over and over and over.
2: Did you right. think about
3: it, uh, an audio tape or videotape. That's just mylar with ferrous oxide on it. And you record the signal and play it back. I think that that can happen under the right condition with certain kinds of elements of granite, quartz, things like that. And a lot of these places where things like that happen have a, a lot of those minerals, rocks mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. The, the, the earth there.
2: Right. Now, uh, several years ago, uh, I used to take family trips up to Vancouver Island. And uh, it's a very beautiful place uh, Victoria is where we used to stay and uh, Victoria is known for a lot of uh, hauntings and uh, paranormal type activity and I actually went on a ghost tour and um, I, I asked the uh, person who is uh, heading it up I go uh, could there be a possibility of ley lines causing some of this and he looked at me going nobody's ever asked that question but I'm glad you asked <laughs> and he, he said that uh, Vancouver Island is like one of the most dense areas of uh, quartz crystals underneath. And uh, so he believed that there's probably something to it. But, uh, you know, I, I've always just been fascinated by ley lines and vortexes. And, uh, you know, we actually, when you were on Ground Zero the other night, we were talking about uh, triangulated areas. And if there's any type of energy that's emitted from like the three angles and it it causes some sort of magnetic disturbance. And so, you know, it's something to definitely ponder because it does seem like there, there is a, you know, some relevance to that.
3: Yeah. And also some of those places, particularly that area that you mentioned up there, it's, it's farther down in Seattle, I think, but they have the, what they call the SeaTac home which is a hum that some people can hear, not everybody can hear, but some people, it drives Mm -hmm. them to the the brink of madness because they hear it all the time. And uh, they claim that that might be some sort of disturbance in the something geo-anomalous there that uh, is interacting negatively with the the Schumann resonance of the the natural vibrations.
2: Right, and interestingly, there are some people that can hear it and then some can't. So I just wonder if it's, you know, something to do with, uh, you know, a particular person's frequency. You know, mm-hmm. internal frequency, or just you know the way their ears are. I don't know. It, yeah. I I just find that pretty fascinating. And,
3: um, so, and high voltage electricity can do that too. If you've ever been under the mains,
2: oh um, yes, some of these power <laughs> yeah. cuts, you oh, can yeah. hear
3: that buzzing. And there's yeah. even been cases of people that uh, that lived under those power lines or very close to them that saw ghosts that saw shadow people that had, uh, oral and visual hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they think it may have been the electricity. Now, was it disrupting the brain or was it giving energy to other stuff, supernatural stuff that was there?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It could go either way. That, that, that's what I love. I love to think about these things. That's what keeps me up at
2: night. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, going back to your book, uh, uh strange things in the woods, mm-hmm. uh, can you uh, sort of give us a, a few of the terrifying tales, some of the main features of that, the book you wrote a few years ago? Yeah,
3: yeah sure. That one, uh, it's stories that I collected over the years from uh, family and friends and uh, somewhat acquaintances, occasionally strangers, and mm-hmm. just being one of those things where when I was a kid, my parents were, uh, I was a late in life, unexpected baby, so my parents were, the age of most of my friends grandparents so whenever they went to visit their friends i'd usually be the only person around my age there and uh, i'd wait for a lull in the conversation and try to get stories out of the old people because i I love this sort of thing and
2: Mm
3: -hmm. uh, older people that's one of your greatest natural resources for stories and legends and lore and in fact when i go to into a new town that's the two things I'll seek out is uh like a senior center or somewhere like that where I can talk to people that have been around there a long time and mm-hmm. then on the other end of that teenagers teenagers know every weird spot every creepy spot to go parking and that sort of thing mm-hmm. but uh, some of those stories and a lot of them were one-offs and just uh, single occurrences you know that not sometimes only one person uh Encountered sometimes a couple people at that same time and then it was never heard from again. And that's again That's the things that I like to research Mm -hmm. or you know, unlike say the brown mountain lights where you can go I've been there a dozen times and saw something just about every time But um, there was one story in there in particular called the flying organ that strikes a lot of people Mm -hmm. Uh, This happened back in the 1930s to some of my relatives. Uh, they lived on a farm Just young boys. They're probably 10 12 years old They'd finished their chores and had gone down to the creek, which was about a mile away from the house, to just relax, cool off, put their feet in the water. And they heard coming up the, the little hollow there where they were what sounded like a pipe organ. But it was in the sky. They could hear it clearly, but uh-huh. it was cloudless day, blue sky. They didn't see anything. And it it went over where they were and then continued on up the hill and over the top of that hill and out of hearing range. Now, something like that, I mean, there's not even any rational explanation for that. They said it was like an organ that they had heard in church, although there wasn't any churches anywhere near there for the wind to carry. Um, Mm -hmm. Flight was in its infancy, more or less, at that time. Uh, I don't imagine anybody would have been flying around with a pump organ. And they said that it was playing a tune, not just notes. There was, they could mm-hmm. discern a melody, but they didn't recognize the song. And again, that's one of those things happened once to witnesses. What on earth was that? Mm-hmm. And, yeah,
2: uh, very bizarre.
3: Several stories like that in there from the same area. There's a story of some ghost kittens. And I found that that, that turns up a lot of times. There will be stories of cats or dogs that have come back in some regard In uh, this case, again, it was some farm kids. They had an old cat that lived on the farm that had litter of kittens, and Mm -hmm. she wasn't a very good mother and let them die. And they took them, I think there were six in all, put them in a hat box and buried them uh, out in the woods near the creek. Mm -hmm. A few days later, they were in the area. They heard what sounded like uh, kittens mewling. And they thought, you know, did we make a mistake? Did we bury those kittens alive? So they went, got a shovel, dug up the hat box, kittens were very very dead at this point and they hadn't made a mistake but they said that for years after that they would hear those kittens in that area where they buried the hat box so was that a ghost was that residual energy was that you know just something inexplicable but that's that's a popular story that's in there too
2: right well i think it it could probably be a number of different things occurring but a lot of times people think in in a linear manner and they just say oh it's ghosts you know Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very simplistic thing to just say. But uh, yeah, the more you delve into it, the more questions arise, it seems like. And uh, I had a, a conversation uh, years ago with uh, Clifford uh, Mahudi, who was a uh, tribal leader of the Zuni tribe down mm-hmm. in Arizona. And, uh, you know, he, he believes that a lot of this uh, activity whether it's UFO or Bigfoot is more interdimensional. He go, you know, basically he was saying, you know, UFOs don't have to be from outer space. They're, they just come in and out just like some of these uh, beings, you know, like yeah. skinwalker type creatures or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Could be. So I, I, yeah, I just find that fascinating how other comedian. people, you know, perceive yeah. the, the paranormal aspect well, of it.
3: Of course, he was making a joke, but comedian Mitch Hedberg said that the reason that the only pictures you see of Bigfoot are blurry is because the creature itself is blurry. Like I said, he was making a joke, but that might be true. It might resonate at a different frequency, vibrate at a higher or lower level, and that's why you can't take a picture of it. I've heard stories of things like that, of even buildings and rocks that you would have trouble taking a picture of it wouldn't show up or it would be Mm -hmm. fuzzy and out of focus when everything else was in perfect focus. So again, something to ponder there that I, and I can see part of that, that these are interdimensional travelers or some sort of dimension or a different time and space, a different timeline, something Mm -hmm. just because they're able to be so elusive. But then again, I mean, you think back, It hadn't been all that many years ago, around the turn of the last century, when uh, they thought uh, such things as the great apes and even pandas were mythological beasts until people showed up with them that had specimens of them. So uh, then again, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Yeti, whatever, it could just be something that's very good at at being elusive that doesn't want to be found, and that's why... Mm -hmm. And uh, and always hear that. Well, why haven't you ever found, you know, a, a Bigfoot carcass or whatever? Well, how many times have you seen a bear carcass in the wood? We we right. know they exist. You know, the only as much as I've time as I've spent in the woods. I'm talking state forest, national forest, national parks. I've been all up and down the Appalachian Trail. haven't through-hiked it yet. But the only carcasses I've ever seen were either something really small, like a squirrel or a bird. Uh, occasionally a deer, and you could tell that that was something that had been poached because pieces of it would be missing. I mean, I assume it was hunters, but uh-huh. no, just you don't see a bear carcass. I think there's, you know, you hear about the, the fabled elephant graveyard. I think there's a Sasquatch graveyard somewhere where they,
2: uh-huh. maybe
3: they bury their dead or take them somewhere else where you won't find them in the woods. hmm uh-huh.
1: So I've got, I've got a question for you about, about the Appalachians and Smoky mm-hmm. Mountains. So I, I've heard in the past that there's quite a lot of, you know, very strange 14 activity, UFOs and weird lights and and time slips. And I mean, have you c- bumped into any of that while you've been hiking around? Or
3: uh, I have had some missing time before. Uh, I okay. have uh, one really strange encounter, and I've had this happen to a degree before. When you're in the woods and everything goes quiet, I mean, you don't hear the wind, you don't hear birds, you don't hear water, oh, yeah. don't hear anything. It's That's like not. the volume has just turned down.
1: Yeah,
3: well, I, a, I had, experience, had experienced right. that one time, but the area I was in, it was in the, the Smokies there near uh dome but it was down a ways from that I'd gone off trail. And uh, I was just hiking through an area, and I, I went off, Decided to look at something. I think it was uh, either some mountain laurel or some apples or something I saw growing in there. And uh-huh. right ahead of me I saw this clearing with this giant tree in it. And it was like an oak tree. Now, you don't... At that elevation in the Smokies, you don't have oaks. It's usually some type of fir. Or there are some red oaks a little bit lower. But this was just like a regular oak tree like you might have in your town or something. But the thing was huge. Okay. It would have taken... Probably three or four people holding hands to go all the way around it, and it was so real it didn't even look real. It looked like Disney Imagineers had made it or something. So I'm in wow. this little clearing, marveling at this tree, and I noticed everything had suddenly gone absolutely silent. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, you know, this is just such a peaceful spot. It's quiet. It's comfortable. I bet mean, I could just sit down here for a while and relax. It might even be a good place to take a nap. And I'm actually entertaining these ideas. And then suddenly it dawned on me, like, you know, what am I thinking? It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be dark soon. I need to get out of here and get back down the mountain. And that's exactly what I did. But I've wondered about that. And um, now there are stories of the little people. Um, uh-huh. The uh, Cherokee in the area have, uh, I can't remember the, the name for it off the top of my head but it's like sort of like the puckwudgie that you have in New England these little uh men right. that uh yeah. vanish into the forest and they claim that they have a way like a, a power to cloud your mind to lull you like in a false sense of security like that maybe to get you to sit down or to lay down and go to sleep or something and then they take you so yeah. I've often wondered if I'd given into that impulse if if I'd be one of the missing but well, it it scared me genuinely scared me when i realized you know that i don't know where those thoughts are coming
1: have you tried to find that tree again because I mean, it sounds uh, like you hike around there a lot
3: yeah i've been back to the general area but i never could locate that specific one again which leads me to believe that it might have been uh not something that wasn't there in the first place now there's a similar tree that last time i was there is still there down near um Fort Loudon in that part of East Tennessee where the Sequoia Museum is the birthplace uh, he wrote the uh, created the Cherokee alphabet because those people didn't have a written language at that time well out in right. the parking lot of the Sequoia Birthplace Museum there's a, a burial mound there well if you go directly behind the burial mound there's another tree like that although I think it's a beech but it's just this giant tree that looks so out of place There's nothing that grows around it. It even looks like the ground has been swept. And uh, it's just, it's one of those places when you go back there, and it's just a little way into the woods behind this uh, barrel mound that's in the edge of the parking lot. But when you go back there, it just feels like you're not supposed to be there. Like, you know, somebody's, whoever this belongs to, they're going to come right back, and they're not going to be happy if they see me here. Just one of those feelings. Like if you went into somebody's house, there Mm -hmm. was a woman... And, uh, but that tree I've been back to several times. In fact, somebody had told me about that and I went to check it out. But again, it's as soon as you walk under that tree, you feel whatever it is there. And I don't know what it is, can't explain it, but it's there's something there. There's some kind of power spot or a vortex or some kind of energy there.
2: Uh-huh. Hey, Olaf, doesn't Camp Paranoia have some sort of, uh, uh anomalous activity <laughs> going on there with, you know, time
1: yeah. uh, kind of being yeah, funky. Uh, yeah. It, so I I own some land on the side of a mountain in uh, southeastern Oregon, and you know we've we've tried um, to quantify the experience, but basically what happens is that when you go when you go on it, um, there's nothing on it. It's just forest, but to you, it may seem like you've been there for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, you've been there, sometimes it speeds up, sometimes Mm. it slows down. So like you, one time we went there and it it was like, we'd been there for maybe 90 minutes. We'd actually been there for like six hours. Yeah. Um, another time we, we did a perceptual test, um, my son and I, and so we were there, we thought we had been there for about 90 minutes and we had been there for 53 minutes. So our perception had slowed down. Hmm. You know, we we were convinced that we had only been there for or we had been there for ninety minutes, but we had only been there for like fifty three minutes, which is interesting because that's an eight, and that's a whole another thing. But I have also been told uh, by my my mentor, as well as I've divined it uh, using other methods, that there is indeed at least one port portal that exists on the land, and wow. it's about a mile. It's about a mile from a from a Bigfoot sighting as well, so yeah. it's a very active area.
3: Now, do your instrumentation, electronic devices, compasses, things like that, do those misbehave in that
1: area? They do. Uh, there is so you will get like four bars on your cell phone, but you can't make phone calls, and mm. the internet does not work, and the the compass is askew. I've only tried using the compass on my phone. Um, I have a military compass. I I need to try that too. But I, the compass, you know, a lot of it is perceptual. Like it, it seems off. Like I know roughly where north is, and it shouldn't be where the compass is telling me. But it's it's off by a little bit. So, it when you go on it, it the whole place is just. I mean, it's not a bad feeling. It's actually really serene and peaceful. Um, it feels good. Like it has good mojo. But it it is it is slightly screwy for both electronics. You know. Like I said, four bars, but you can't make a phone call. Wow. Yeah,
3: there's some places <laughs> like in southern Oregon, Crater Lake, for example. That place has right. a weird energy. A lot of uh, young men have because. gone missing there, like in their 20s and things that disappear oh, from okay. there and never found. And this, is,
1: that's... This, is actu- this is actually southeast of Crater Lake. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Klamath Falls and turn right, it's about, an, it's about 40 minutes outside of Klamath Falls to the east.
3: No. Yeah. And then so though, there's another area, area. Down there. They call the Vortex. There's a place where they, they talk about the Oregon Vortex. It's very near there. Oh, that might be where you're talking about.
1: Gold Gold Hill. That's actually north of there. That's like northwest of there. But yeah, Gold Hill yeah. is a we're, really weird place for Oregon Vortex. You know, I've been to most of them, like on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done the Mystery Spot, but I've done like Infusion Hill and the Oregon Vortex. And some another one. And I'll tell you, the organ vortex, like, you actually, if you're in there too long, you start to feel nauseous. Like, the, yeah. like Confusion Hill's not quite as strong, but the organ vortex is really strong.
3: Yeah, that's the same experience I had at the organ vortex. Like it, uh, it's like uh, I have had an inner ear infection before, and it was similar to that. It affected my equilibrium, and uh, yep. it was making me nauseous, like almost like a emotion sickness or something which I've experienced Mm -hmm. with inner ear issues. And then once I got out of there, it cleared up. But the same thing, very, very strange.
1: Yeah. And confusion, confusion Hill, which is in California, a little South of there, uh, confusion Hill, nothing happened. Like, I mean, you, you feel off, like whenever you go into one of those vortex places, you feel off. Like the whole place just, there's, I don't know. It's like phase shifted. It's hard to explain, but Confusion Hill didn't have the same impact that the Oregon Vortex does. It, the Oregon Vortex was much more powerful for me. Yeah,
3: and I've noticed some of those places, it, it tends to be, for me anyway, like an increase in gravity. Like, it's it's harder mm-hmm. for me to walk. Like, I, I weigh about twice what I do. And uh, yeah, just the you get back, there, yeah. picking up my feet and things, I feel very heavy.
2: That's bizarre, because I, I felt the same way. I was... Uh, Clyde Lewis and I were at a. Uh, we took a tour around Virginia, and there was this uh, Confederate cemetery we went to, mm-hmm. that happened to have a, a pyramid, this really big pyramid. And uh, so we were as we were walking, it just seemed like it was really heavy. And then uh, once we touched the pyramid, some of us felt really nauseous, and you could you could feel the vibration. On the pyramid right there and uh, one, one person actually did throw up but uh yeah several people were really nauseous and it just seemed like it was really hard to walk it was weird mm. well, that's like the
1: that's like the custer battlefield too if you ever go to the the little bighorn the uh-huh. monument the little bighorn it the two things happened to me one one i couldn't repeat but one the other both times when you go in there, I don't know, it's like a bubble. Like, when you walk yep. into it, you know, you feel... It's almost like you feel that you're passing through a barrier. And yeah. just it's just bad. Like, it's just bad. There's no good. Yeah. I've found that and, a
3: lot of the Civil War battlefields like that yeah. in particular. Uh, another one in the southeast is a Chickamauga battlefield in uh, Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. That one, just... it's Like you said, there's a palpable feeling like when you enter the place... Yeah you feel an atmospheric change almost like atmospheric pressure or something increases. Yeah. And it's like being sure. if you've ever done density. any scuba diving or anything, it's like when you get down into some pretty deep water and you can feel all that water pushing down on you. That's kind of the way it is, but it's you're on dry land.
1: Yeah, and it's like there's like an air density change. When you go in there, it's harder to breathe. The the air feels more dense. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that happened is that when I went down, because not now, but before you could take these hikes through the battlefield itself. And there are these like um, gullies that, that I guess the, the union soldiers ran down when they were trying to get away. And, you know, they, they, the Native Americans actually hunted them down in these gorges. And you can, they have like markers where the people fell. And when you go down in there, there's, there are these breezes that go across the plains. And when you, the breeze would go by you, you could hear like the screaming and the fighting, like just this faint, like sound of the screaming and fighting. Right. And it was like riding the wind. It was the, the cre- uh-huh. one of the creepiest things
2: I've ever experienced in my life. It's like residual energy.
3: Yeah.
2: You could hear it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. They have and, that in uh, Gettysburg too. They'll hear and that, that's happened right. in Chickamauga that I just spoke of. I know somebody that was down there and thought there was a reenactment or something going on. So they kept hearing yelling and screaming and gunshots and horses and things. And they asked the next day about why they did the reenactment so late. And the park ranger was like, what reenactment? There wasn't anything going on here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh, Battlefields are horrendous. There's a—I actually went to a, a concentration camp once. There was a small concentration camp on this island that I used to have to go to in the English channel. And there's nothing, the people that live there actually destroyed it after the Germans left the island um, and surrendered. They, they went through and completely dismantled it. There was nothing left except these two like brick pillars. But like you, you go anywhere near it and the density of the air just keeps getting heavier and heavier. It's almost unbearable. I think I was only there for about four minutes and I was like, we got to go. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. You know, the battlefields and places like that, that, so much pain and confusion and sorrow that it just, it's unbearable. It's really bad.
2: So, Steve, uh, you've also investigated, done some research on uh, true crimes and hauntings, I noticed, uh, going through your Facebook page. And uh, so can you tell me a little bit about some of your investigative work on that? Sure,
3: that uh, a lot of the, the true crime stuff started back in uh, the late '80s and early '90s. Um, I was writing for all uh, those lurid crime magazines, True Detective, and some of those things you used to see at the grocery store, the drugstore mm-hmm. magazine rack. Sure. And um, as such, I covered a lot of uh, local cases, you know, locals in the South there that would make good write-ups for those. Covered like uh, uh, several different. Uh, like I said for that area high profile murder cases and things like that and it just uh, it's one of those things though that and even with the paranormal sometimes when you get so far into it it just kind of takes you over and gets into your head and I had to to step away from the true crime for a while Mm -hmm. I was uh, profiling some of these guys doing feature writing on them and uh, I got a P.O. box and started writing to some of them just to see who would write back Right. I had letters from Tex Watson. I had letters from Charles Manson. I had letters from John Gacy. Oh, wow. Um, several others. And uh, I even ended up uh, buying one of Gacy's paintings. Now, at that time, he couldn't sell them himself because of the Son of Sam law. But he had an okay. attorney in Louisiana that was like his art dealer. And I ordered one of the Skull Clowns. And uh, it hung in my library for a long time where I write and stuff. But. It just it got to be too creepy, and about the same time I became a father. And uh-huh. just you yeah. think about that, you know, it's hanging on the wall there. And then you think of uh-huh. whose hands created that and what else those hands had done. And I got rid of the thing. I, I think I paid a hundred dollars for it. Originally sold it for three hundred. Thought I was doing great, but if I had it today, I think they're going from three to five thousand dollars. But
2: uh-huh.
3: um, that's kind of how I got into it. Just through a lark, just you know, here's something I can write about and get paid for. And um, at that time, uh, T.E.D. Klein, who was best known as a horror author, he had started uh, a magazine, a glossy magazine called Crime Beat. And uh, it's long since defunct, but I I had some stuff in there. And uh, again, that was in the embassy of the internet. A lot of people just had BBS set up in their homes and called into those. I know, Ron, that uh, when I was over with you and Klein in the studio, you and I talked about Ron Bonds. Uh, mm-hmm. of Illuminate Press yep. there in Georgia. Yes. He, that was how yep. I met him. and uh, He wasn't so much into the crime stuff, but a lot of anomalous stuff. That was how I got to meet John Keel, was through Ron. Mm-hmm. And then Ron himself died under mysterious circumstances, so uh, I think he may yeah. have been poisoned. and I, I don't know for an absolute fact, but I believe that when I went down there to meet Keel in that would have been like 90, 91, mm-hmm. I believe that's the same restaurant we went to. It was a Mexican restaurant in the one that uh, Ron ate when he passed away was—they said his favorite Mexican restaurant. So that's probably where we went. Supposedly the undercooked uh, enchilada beef got him, but yeah, who's to say? But, no, but uh,
1: nobody else I, got sick.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's strange. And it was a buffet style.
1: Weird.
3: Um, but yeah, I do uh, true crime on uh, the Zombified. They have a channel, YouTube channel, and on uh, Wednesday nights at eight Eastern my creative partner jim and jade and i do a, a true crime show over there called real evil where we uh-huh. delve into just the the absolute worst of the worst you know the cannibals the family killers the the oh, wow. the child killers and by that i mean children who have killed like uh, mary bell and people like this i still have an interest in it just not as much as i used to like i said i just i got too into it and didn't like you know because you've to quote Nietzsche, when you peer into the abyss, the abyss peers. Oh, back yeah. In. Same thing, when you yep. get into those guys' heads to try to figure things out, they get into your head, and that's, that's mm-hmm. not something I found out <laughs> I enjoyed. So... But uh um, Yeah,
2: you gotta balance it out with other yeah, the
3: same with the paranormal. I mean, it gets so dark in sure. some of those places sometimes too, the the things that you're you're looking into and reading about and sitting about I have to, you know, take a break and go watch uh, cute kitten videos or something for a while just to
2: <laughs> right. yep.
3: clear the, the darkness out of my head. But we're right. doing that now. Sure. We're um my main channel, Missing Persons and Mysteries, and that covers the gamut. We concentrate mainly on missing person cases including ones that are currently missing or ones that have just recently have recently happened uh, and the historical cases and then the ministries side of the name that can be anything we've done a lot of paranormal stuff and uh just oddball stuff there uh the partner uh co-owner of that channel bill melder he wants us to do a, a true crime channel so uh, that's going to be true crime case files don't have uh, eta on that probably june or july And uh, we just finished a documentary about the smiley face killers. That's what's kind of going to open up that channel. It's uh, written uh, and narrated, and then he's just finishing the the production on it. But it's going to be interesting. So that's one of those that some people claim that that's not even a real thing, that it doesn't exist. uh, And I can't remember the gentleman's names off the top of my head, but they wrote a book called uh, Case Studies in Forensic Drowning. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that first came up with the, uh, the theory of the the smiley face killer or killers. There's mm-hmm. some conjecture that it may be a group of uh, serial killers that travel around together or somewhat loosely together and commit these crimes. But I don't know. There's some compelling evidence there.
2: So, right? Do they have any way, uh, occult origins? Or yeah, they-
3: there is a cult intertwinings with it like you do a lot of these a lot of people are uh, watching Sons of Sam lately on oh yeah that was an excellent
2: documentary
3: it was and uh, if you like that go back and read Maury Terry's book that that's based on Um, yes I read that when it came out like in 85 or 87 and Mm -hmm. that information has been sitting there all this time and people are just now kind of discovering it but he was able to tie uh, the Son of Sam the Sons of Sam And with uh, Manson and the Process Church, the Final Judgment, and some of these other groups. And uh, one of the most chilling ones, there's the Arliss Perry murder, where uh, I think that happened in, I want to say San Diego, but um, Mm -hmm. Berkowitz had written in the the margin of a book that he'd given to Mari Terry, Arliss Perry, uh, followed to California, stalked, and killed, and Sure enough, he looked into it. She had moved from South Dakota, where the Carr brothers were originally from. She was going to school in I believe it was San Diego, and uh, they found her murdered in a church uh, very ritualistically and had uh, uh, a candle. I think it was inserted into her female wow. parts. So it was just you know really strange murder to just happen. and uh, yeah. there'd never been any. Grime or raising no suspects or anything, but so, supposedly, Berkowitz had inside knowledge of that, one. he didn't do it, but he knew about it.
1: So yeah, on, along those lines, by the way, we're about to start off aftermath, so just download the podcast. We have a, a few more minutes. Um, one of the, the strangest things that I came across that kind of bridges true crime and serial killers and the paranormal is Bob's board. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. Yes, I have. So what do you, what do you I actually uh, interviewed the nephew that, that Mark that kind of found the board and, and was selling it. So and I have one, but obviously I don't open it. <laughs> it's still in a shrink wrap. Like the shrink wrap will magically protect me from it. But what do you, what's your take on the Bob's board?
3: Um, I see it as, as things just like, um, as any kind of spirit board, I mean, a, a Ouija board or a talking Oracle or whatever you want to call it. I think it's kind of in that same thing. Now, of course he was, I think he was supposed to have been a serial killer himself or something like that, according to the, the story or he was suspected serial murder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was about,
1: and, it was about the creepiest interview I've ever done in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, the interview scared the crap out of me.
3: And he created it as a way to talk to his victims. Right. And so that's just, I mean, right off the top and there, he, that's just, wow. Well, didn't he, he feel like guilty?
2: guilty? Didn't he yeah, feel he guilty? guilty? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then they, they well,
3: were having a thing where they were offering a $50,000 reward. There were all these codes and ciphers right. and arcane images. Now, that to me, that almost sounds like a, you know, one of these other... Uh, treasure the hunt for the golden horse and mm-hmm. some of those where max maven or somebody's created all of these puzzles and left the clues out there so i don't know if it's something like that if it's just a very uh quirky marketing campaign or if it's you know for real as far as i know though that it, it is real and it's uh,
2: based on a real story
3: circumstances sure. that came about well, yeah the,
2: are real the, so the nephew
1: each i think his name is ej when i it was a 27 minute interview and it was, and he's telling me the whole story about, about his uncle and and finding the driver's licenses, the bag of driver's licenses. And yeah, I guess the, he used it and he contacted the victims and like, apparently they drove him crazy and he eventually killed himself. Wow. It's yeah, it, it was, I'm telling you bar none, And, you know, I've, I've talked to some pretty strange people, right? I mean, you do stuff like this and you, you run into some pretty strange people, but that very nice guy, very respectful, very quiet, you know, seemed like a a decent person, but I'm telling you, it was about the creepiest interview, creepiest story (laughs) I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I'll I'll have to delve into it some more. Oh, my God. Listen to the in, – in, and when I did the interview, like, the, the recording got screwed up, like it dumped uh-huh. the entire the entire channel. So you don't hear me at all. It's just wow. him. Yeah. It <laughs> all went creepy. haywire when I inter- – oh, the whole and thing. And I've,
3: I've noticed that thing, like, wow. a lot of times. I had a Black Eyed Kids encounter back in the 90s, and a lot of times when I talk about that on a show, stuff will mess up. It'll dump uh-huh. the recording, or it'll come out gibberish, or – I've had my entire system just freeze up. And um, so there's there's some things like that that I think just talking about, and again, that goes back to like Native American thing that there are certain uh, things the elders will tell you not to discuss or even think about because you can draw mm-hmm. right. it to you. That like a TOPA yes. a psychopomp yep. that you give energy to it and you can bring it to you unwittingly. And I I think that happens sometimes.
1: Oh, Absolutely. I definitely, well, hopefully we can get you to come back. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come like back. Here. This has been the,
3: the, the, the most fun hour I've spent, and I don't know when. Great. Oh, good. Glad you
2: enjoyed <laughs> it. Glad. Yeah, like I said, we're pretty laid back, easy going. Yeah. Don't bite.
3: Yep.
1: Yeah, and I'll, but, I definitely want to write something for the magazine. I'm looking forward to that. That would be awesome. And I want to hear this black-eyed kids encounter that you had. I- I'm willing to risk the computer locking up, and i got to <laughs> hear this. Okay? Yeah,
3: it's it takes – I've got a – there's a recording of it on the Internet on a lady's channel, Unicorps Tales. That's probably the best okay. and longest rendition that I've done of it. It's about 20, 25 minutes long. But um, I'll send you a link to that. And uh, ooh, I like the ooh. way she handled it. She basically didn't ask me that many questions. She just let me talk. Because a lot of times when I tell it – people want to hear this, and what about that, and what about this. This is just me, and that's that's the most frightened I've ever been. And it was, it was two little girls, you know. It was, shouldn't have been anything that was frightening at all, but it was this totally just irrational, unknown fear that just washed over me out of nowhere. And there was an evil, a very demonic feel attached
1: to it as well, well that i would never felt since. The, uh, the, town, the town that I live in, we used to have this newspaper called the martinez gazette and the the building that the martinez gazette was in was like highly haunted and supposedly one of the edit well not supposedly the one of the edit, editors of the the newspaper had been figure fingered as a possible candidate to be the zodiac mm-hmm. and so zodiac, clyde or- clyde yeah clyde uh did a live broadcast from there and we're all you know doing ghost busting kind of stuff and, you no. know, we had a EM, we had an EM uh, generator rip itself apart and explode. Wow. We had flashlights turning on and off. Actually, at one point, um, Clyde got him to come across on an SB7 and say, I am the Zodiac. So wow. About 30 seconds after that happened, Clyde got sick. He, went, he was like, well, he felt
2: like he was being street. strangled.
1: Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Now, Ron, were you uh, still
3: were so. were you with Clyde when he opened the Dybbuk box?
2: No, I wasn't. No. I remember
3: hearing him talk about that though. Everything went nuts in the studio there. The the heating turned on even though it was like warm weather and yeah. the studio got up to like ninety something degrees. Yeah. And the, yeah.
2: Bizarre.
3: Uh, was something else. And then he did a thing at the Doug Perr Lounge one time with one of Gacy's suits. And I don't know. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I never yeah. Well, did. What, yeah. what what happened? Did anything is, come uh, forward in that one?
2: well well people had uh you know tried on uh, Gacy's jacket you know not everybody but he Clyde just said hey if anybody wants to try this on go ahead and a few people did and apparently those individuals that wore Gacy's coat uh had really really bad nightmares for days and uh wow. they they just felt terrified too yeah. And uh, so a, that could be psychosomatic, but at the same time, they were having sort of the same type of dreams. And, and there, uh, so there's there's a it photo. Makes you
1: there's a photo floating around that somebody in there took of a TV, and you can almost make out Gacy's face on the TV. Oh, I don't you know can. What I did with that. no,
2: no, yeah. yeah there, there's, there's a, I saw that photo, and uh, yeah. Gacy or somebody with a white face and black eyes is sitting down upright and just looking straight ahead wow
3: kind of unusual in the sense that as far as I know there was no occult connection personally for Gacy I mean he may have been into some kind of weird ritual something when you consider how many people he killed or demonic activity or something yeah. but uh, he is, is one of those that even though there's no real connection there it does produce a lot of things like that where yeah, that there, there may have been some hidden or, or underlying occult connection that was never talked about by him or anybody.
2: Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, We better. We love them. We better call it.
1: Quits. <laughs> <laughs> we better call it quits. We're going to keep keep him here all night.
3: He's got stuff to <laughs> no, do. He,
2: he's got other shows to do. Yeah. yeah. All night yeah. long. Well, <laughs> <or, or,
3: laughs> ghost stories at midnight. That I just I started, let it run overnight, and then I get up in the mornings I usually I only sleep two or three hours a night. I'm lifelong insomniac. But uh, this morning I got up, finished uh, the last hour or so of Ghost Stories at Midnight, then went into old-time radio, let that run until time to do um, a show I have on Missing Persons and Mysteries, uh fireside chat that we do on Sundays. Did that, then had an hour gap, and then did um, all the We Are Paradox Media's uh Midnight in the Rockies with Tessa TNT. We were on her show for three hours, Jim and I were. And wow. then I had an hour before I came on with you guys. And then I've got an <laughs> wow. hour now, a little less than an hour until Ghost Stories at Midnight again, because I do that one every night. So, yeah, I wow. stay busy.
1: <laughs> we better let you go. So how, how can people find you?
3: Uh, well, again, the, the my YouTube channel is there. A Missing Persons and Mysteries is the main one. Uh, 13 past midnight is the other one. That's just me mainly narrating true paranormal stuff from my books and that people have sent in to me. And um, my books are on uh, Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Publisher likes for me to say that. Uh, uh, Strange things in the woods is available. Uh, Kindle paperback uh, audible and an audio CD. And then my strange world. I think it's just Kindle and paperback. And um, the new one, National Park Mysteries, Volume 1 of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, it's in Kindle and paperback, and there will be an audible version of that, which I'm going to narrate. And then uh, Volume 2 of that, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, Volume 2, which will include Joshua Tree, Mount Shasta, and Yosemite, it's going to be the oh. edition, so uh, that one should be out, I think August 17th is when it's supposed to come out, so. Sometime in August.
1: Well, I've got, I got, I got Yosemite and Shasta not far from me. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've got a lot of books to buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, stay well, in touch, and I'll,
3: I'll send you a copy of that one when it comes out. Um, cool. You. And, well, uh, s- thank, you. thank Go ahead, sir. Oh, my pleasure. So, I've been contacted recently by Fate Magazine, and that was like. Growing up, that was one of the things that I had. Because there wasn't all this paranormal stuff back then. Fate was one of the go-tos when I was sure. a kid in the UFO mm-hmm. magazines. Oh, yeah. and then later on, found your guys' magazine a few years ago. And that just really turned me on. Somewhere in a box, I've got probably, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 issues that I've saved up there. Well, we'll get okay. you some more. All right. That's, that sounds <laughs> I'll great. You I'm, I'm more. happy to, to see it still in
1: production and going. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Ron, I guess that was another, a thrilling podcast of the Paranoia podcast um, yeah, next week we have yeah, next week we have some great guests coming on. We're going to be talking about Terry Risk. Um apparently there's some stuff cooking with with Terry R. wrist, so all, all you guys of hell your fans that are interested in Terry Risk. Um, there's been some uh, developments with the, with, uh, good old Terry. So we're going to do a show about that. Uh, no doubt that will go over the one hour on, on aftermath FM. Um, as always with aftermath, you know, we only get an hour on there, but we tend to go long. So definitely subscribe to the podcast so you can get the the full breadth of our amazing, you know, half-assed, uh, chicken shit show.
2: Ron, Welcome.
1: say the magic words. <laughs>
2: Take good care and keep the faith, y'all.
0: All right, everybody, be excellent
2: to each other.
1: Aloha.
0: Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now paranoiamagazine.com. Intro theme The Guide was composed by Scott Moon scottmoon.net Outro theme Fighting Trousers is by Professor Elemental professorelemental.com Voice over written and performed by Mr. Lobo host of Cinema Insomnia Watch new episodes on OSI 74 Visit us at osi74.com We are resuming control For now.